So let's open a word of prayer as we get started. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for today. We thank you in this season of life. Uh, Lord, sometimes it's hard to give thanks in hard times, but let us always look to you and know that you are good, that you are loving, and that you're kind. Lord, as we look to Jesus and how he lived and how he walked, as the ultimate example of our humanity. Father God, we just ask in this moment that you open our ears, soften our hearts. Let us receive what you have prepared for us tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to encourage you real quick, if you haven't yet already, grab one of the sheets. Uh, they're back on the table. They got some questions. They got the scripture references for tonight, and they got a little quiz on the back. Now, I know some of you are really studious, and you probably already took it without being told to take it, but that's okay. Some of you are like, oh no, a quiz. I thought this was behind me in middle school, and those days are gone, and no, no, this is good. Tonight, we're going to be talking about, Mr. Corey, you want to take me to the next slide? I don't think I can bump myself. Oh, there it goes. Breaking traditions. It worked. I'm good, Corey. Thank you. Tonight is about breaking traditions. Now, not all traditions are bad. You know, if you have something you cook at Easter or Thanksgiving or a way you celebrate a birthday or an anniversary, there are some beautiful things that come with traditions. But unfortunately, some traditions we have made up and put them in place of what God has asked us to do. And that is what tonight is all about. It is finding what traditions we need to hold on to and what traditions we need to let aside. So tonight we're actually going to start in Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read this story. And it starts with a little preface. And it starts with a man named Levi. So Luke chapter 5 verse 27 it reads, after he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, he said to him, follow me, leaving everything. And he followed, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He said, He also told them a parable No one tears a new piece from a garment and puts it into an old, on an old garment. If he does it, he will tear the new one. And the piece that of, from the new will not match the old. And no one puts on 
new, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he said, the old is good. And this parable is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. A lot of it is very similar, but we're going to skip through it real quick, and we're going to go page by a little bit of verse by verse to see some of the comparisons. But as it starts, as Jesus says, verse Matthew 9, it says, Jesus passed from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tech booth, and he said, follow me. And it's a very similar thing along in Mark, but and then in Luke. Now, we have to know that tax collectors were not favored people in Israel. They were considered outcasts and traitors because they had made friends with the Romans. Now, today, we, you, if, I hope there's no tax collectors in this room, but we, we, don't, we get the concept of paying taxes. But see, here's the problem with ancient tax collectors is they would take a surcharge on top. If your tax was, let's say, $100, they took $150. And there was nothing you could do about it. Because if you complain, they're going to hand you over to the Romans and say that you didn't pay your taxes, which would land you in jail, which means until you could pay your debt, you would stay in jail. So what did you do? You paid your tax and then some. So tax collectors became very, very rich. They also became unclean by Levitical law because they had associated themselves with Gentiles. In regular commerce and conversation and integration, they were no longer fully Jewish people. So these people were truly, truly outsiders. So think today of the person you think is the most unlovable, most unapproachable, furthest you could think of from God, and this is the tax collector. This is a modern-day tax collector. Now, I would not want to put a label on any of those people because some of you are the person to someone else in that room. But Jesus sees this man and calls him, a simple call, two words, follow me. So there was something that Levi saw in Jesus that literally got him, as Luke recorded, saying, leaving everything. Last week, we talked about the sacrifice that's required to follow Jesus and that it could cost you everything. And here is an example of a man who left everything. Now, real quick, Levi was his Hebrew name. Matthew was his Gentile name. But think of Levi. There's two very famous biblical characters that come from the tribe of Levi. Anyone want to guess? No takers? Moses and Aaron. So, so if your name was Levi, you would know the story of Moses and Aaron. And to think that all of a sudden, having been a part, raised in a proper Jewish home, that they had bestowed this beautiful name as Levi, that you are now associating with the enemy, that you have abandoned your roots. How would that make you feel? How, how would you want to be treated? Because to be honest, by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders, he wasn't treated very well at all. Moving forward into the next couple of verses, this is what's so beautiful about the authors. They, they don't leave anything to guess. 
Literally, Matthew leaves his tax booth and the next scene, we're at a party. Look at Luke 5, 29, down at the bottom of the screen. And Levi made a great feast in his house. His decision to follow Jesus led to an immediate celebration and an invitation to his friends. You have to see this guy. You have to see what he's done. And all he said to me was, follow me. Does Jesus have that impact on your life? Have you had that encounter with Jesus that you, you are calling your friends saying, you have to meet this guy. You have to hear this story. You have to see what he did. Because that's what happened. Jesus, Levi was so excited about Jesus. It carries on and says he held a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining with them. Now, in Luke, it's not very clear who the them is. So that's why we look to the other gospel writers. Matthew says, and Jesus reclined at the table in the house. So Jesus now was the main guest of honor. And it says, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The way that we are to engage this culture is at table. Now, it doesn't mean that every time you have to empty your bank account to take every sinner out to dinner. But when we open our home and we create an, uh, an area of hospitality for people who are different from us, we are fulfilling the gospel. We are doing what Jesus did. Because see, here's the other thing. If you've been a Christian more than a day, you have a, quite a slight tendency of saying, well, I'm good, and so I can't associate with bad, and you take on a pharisaical mindset. I love how Luke wrote it. It says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. It upset them that they were just had this murmuring about them. Oh my gosh, this Jesus God. Oh my goodness, what is he doing? Why is he there? Why is he this? Doesn't he know who these people are? I saw them on the corner. I saw what they did last night. I, da, 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 da. I heard their sins. I've seen this. And Pharisees are just sitting there watching, grumbling and complaining. It's a hostile culture. It's cold. There's no love. There's no compassion. And a part of what I hope is as we begin to break some of our traditions, some of our views, is that we actually adopt a gospel culture. So we need to know what the gospel is, but we need to learn how to live it out. How that we can be at a table and come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and invite that person in who's far from God so that they can experience the love of God right where we are. Levi used his influence to bring others in to be near to Jesus. He had a great desire to share. Moving forward, Jesus and his, only as Jesus could. If it, let's first look at Matthew 9, verse 13. It says, go then and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That was Jesus' response to the Pharisees. He said, you all understand that the, the well don't need a physician. Anyone like to go for a wellness check at the doctor? Of course not. But if you're sick, where do you go? The doctor, right? And so this is, practice hasn't changed. 2,000 years ago, people still hated going to the doctor. 
So it was very clear in their minds that, oh, of course, if I'm healthy, I don't need the doctor. But those who are sick are, they do. But this desire to show mercy, to show this kindness towards someone in their ailment. If you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about what it meant to be merciful. And it means to have pity or compassion on someone and the consequences of their sins. That's what it means to be merciful. It means that instead of going, well, I'm just going to make it better by doing a sacrifice, I'm actually going to have mercy on someone and the consequences of their sins. I like what, how Luke wrote it. He says, I have not come called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's calling the sinners home. He's, he's calling those who are far from God, near God. Right where they're at. Our, our job is to create this gospel culture in which we can present Jesus to our friends and our families, our colleagues and others, so that they can meet Jesus, so that their hearts will change. So who are the sick? Paul writes it this one. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. So who is the sick? Everyone. At some point of time, we were all sick. We were all in need of a physician. Now, for some of you, I believe you've been Christians for many years, and you have a deep, loving relationship with Jesus. And for some of you, this all might be very new. But we can never forget where we've come from. Not that we live the past. You can't do that. You can't go to the good old days. Because to be honest, they really weren't that good. But we have to remember where we've come from. That we are all sinners. We're all in need of a physician. We cannot forget our roots. Sidestepping a little bit. There's a, a story that Jesus tells in Luke 18. And I want to make a comparison between the Pharisees and a tax collector because Jesus did. And, and these are his words. And he says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So who is righteous? Hmm. And treated others with contempt. So, so Jesus says, you can't be self-righteous and treat others with hatred. They are contradictory. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The most self-righteous in all of Israel and the lowest of the low. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, meaning he was unwilling to be in the center, but he was back probably in a corner. Not even lifted, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, see the, the Pharisee was wrapped up in pride and arrogance. He was so wrapped up in his own works and what he had achieved that he was gloating about it to God. <coughs> but the tax collector, knowing the greatness of God, realizing his weakness, asked for mercy. <coughs> Excuse me. As Jesus said, I desire mercy not sacrifice. So a touch on fasting. Fasting is not bad. Fasting is a good thing. We should fast. But the problem is, is the way the Pharisees and the disciples of John took fasting. In the Old Testament, there is only one day of fasting which God commands. And you can find that in Leviticus chapter 16 and chapter 23. It is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. All the other holidays in which the Lord commands us to celebrate are actually days of feasting, of celebration, of praise, of jubilation. But the only one day that God calls us to stricken ourselves or afflict ourselves <coughs> is the day of Yom Kippur. But the Pharisees had made it a practice to fast twice a week. <coughs> I think I'm done. No, I already got one. I'm sucking on the holes right now. The, the Pharisees had made such a practice that, that they would dissevel them, themselves. You read that in Matthew 6, right? If you are like, don't be like the Pharisees and go and leave your hair all a mess and your beard unkept. Dress yourselves and do it privately. So it's not that we shouldn't fast, but there's a, a heart behind what we fast. Consider other people who fasted. Esther fasted before she went before the king. Daniel fasted before he went before the king. Ezra fasted before he went before the king. These were serious times, special occasions where they need to plead their case to God in great seriousness. And that's why we fast. So the Pharisees really aren't challenging why the disciples are fasting. They're challenging why the disciples are not keeping with traditions. Right here. So then going back to the story. Down at the bottom. Luke 5. They said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, and yours eat and drink. 
They're just mad that their lifestyle is different from their self-righteous lifestyle. These Pharisees and, and the disciples of John had created a, such a life for themselves. They were known for their strict diets and their, their behaviors and how well they paraded themselves about. But the disciples of Jesus were tax collectors and fishermen and ruffians. They, 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 they were ragamuffins. They, they were not good people. And so this is what they begin to challenge. So here, here's the disciples of John. I don't know if anyone's ever studied the disciples of John. I really haven't until this week. But the disciples of John were followers of John the Baptist. And so they were around. Uh, they followed John the Baptist. They were baptized in repentance. They tried to live a godly lifestyle. They were really trying to follow the law and the prophets. So they, these weren't bad guys, but these were people who were trying to follow Jesus. But... Or to follow John. But they were not necessarily following Jesus. And I found this, these two passages to be interesting. Maybe you struggle with doubt. Maybe some of you struggle sometimes with your faith. Is Jesus really the only way? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is there really forgiveness of sin? Is there really an afterlife? Look now at Luke 7, 18 and 19. And the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? Now, th that might be a little hard to place, but look at the verse below it. These are John the Baptist's words. And he, John the Baptist, looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Just before that, the day before, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The same man who Jesus baptized, or John baptized Jesus and saw the Holy Spirit descend out of heaven like a dove and heard the voice of the Lord said, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Now all of a sudden goes, Are you the one? Are you really the one? I just check it. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you were there in the River Jordan and you watched the skies open up and you knew that you knew that this was the Lord. Would you doubt? Would you, would you after a bit of time go, well, you know, I had kind of some other considerations. But these were John's disciples. As you look there at, the bot at John 1, and said, two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. So of all the disciples of John, only two actually followed Jesus and became one of the twelve. John and Andrew. So these disciples continue to follow, and actually we have a record of them in Acts 18 of uh, Apollos, who was a disciple of John, but had not heard the gospel, full gospel of Jesus. Now the Pharisees, <coughs> these were an interesting bunch. And this is what Jesus had to say to them in Luke 7. said, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? This was the Pharisees' real question at the dinner party of Levi is why aren't you doing whatever all the elders have always done? 
but eat with defiled hands. And he said to him, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This is where the Pharisees were. They, they were empty in heart. They had no love of God. They had a love of self. They liked the praise of others. They liked to flaunt their righteousness to the world and be applauded. It says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And then Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God to hold fast to the tradition of men. And he said to him, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God to establish your tradition. And this is why tonight's teaching is the, the breaking traditions. Some of us have some great habits and rituals and routines in our spiritual life. How you read the Bible, when you pray and how you pray, how often you come to church, how you are involved in the community. These aren't bad things. We, we need to exercise our faith. But sometimes we create little gold calves in regards to our faith that are actually stumbling blocks and not benefits. They're not, that makes sense? There, there are things that end up in our way because we get so caught up in a routine. For example, the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a model of prayer. But if that's all you're praying and it's just empty, you need a new prayer. Right? If you're singing a song that you've been singing for a long time, but there's no heart in it, get a new song. If, if there's a routine of how you read the Bible and you are not being rejuvenated by it, enlightened by it, excited about it, find a new routine. You know, and we as, as human beings, we, we have rituals. We all have them. You, you wake up and you do the same thing every single morning. Yes. So, so it is in our nature that we establish routines. But is our routines keeping us from God? And that's where you, you personally have to engage God with this. I'm pur pur purposely not listing a whole long line of rituals in order not to feed you in the wrong direction. Because it could be as simple as your time spent on your phone or time spent worrying about sports or work or money that's keeping you from God. So on the, the back of the questionnaire, there's a faith system inventory. On a scale of zero to four, I know that's an odd scale, but asking these seven questions of yourself. Now, these are not to be shared unless you really want to share. But, but this is sometimes we need to sit and take an account of our lives and where we stand with God. So do the people around me know that I'm a Christian? I wanted to put yes or no, but 
I put it, you know, zero is in like you strongly disagree. Like, no, they don't. Absolutely, I hide it from everybody. To four, I strongly agree. To do I have a growing desire to learn more about God? Nah, I don't care. Or, oh my gosh, it's everything. I believe in spending time with God is important. Nah, it's okay. To it's the most important. Have I taken steps to avoid sin? I like my sins. I like wallowing in them. Or I'm doing things to filter them out. I've grown in my love for Jesus since I became a Christian. If your love is the same as it was when you became a Christian, hmm. I like sharing my faith with others. Now that doesn't mean you need to walk around thumping your Bible on, on people's head as they walk by you. I've made changes in my life to help others in need. Have you, have you done things to change your life in which affect the people around you? Moving forward. So as Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn? Or in Mark 2, he says, can the wedding... Wedding guests fast. So Jesus, in his words, have, has associated fasting and mourning. That, that there is something about not giving in in that moment. And, and so here, here, this is how bad the Pharisees took their fasting. That even if they went to a dinner party, a wedding celebration, which was a time of feasting, they would say, oh no, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm fasting. That was the attitude that they had, that they were so strict that actually in the Talmud, they actually wrote a law that said you can't fast at, during a wedding party. This is how seriously some of these people were. But when he is gone, they will fast. So Jesus is the bridegroom. We are his guests. We are his bride. So while he is with us, we rejoice and we celebrate. But when he is taken away, which was to the disciples immediate, this was going to happen in the very near future. This was Jesus' first account of his death, that he would die. And, and I don't think the disciples fully got it because they just kept writing. But this was it. This was the first time Jesus had said, the bridegroom's going away. In Mark, he, the next section he writes, talks about the, uh, no one puts an unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Now, I have done a fair share of ruining good clothes by putting them in the dryer. Now, I've never sold, sewed a new patch of cloth onto an old garment. That's not me, but I've taken my wife's clothes and thrown them in the dryer that ought not to be dried and shrunk them. I've only done it. It has been a very long time since I've done that. But we get it, right? If you take something that shrinks and you put it in the dryer, it becomes very small, and now it's doll's clothes and not human clothes. And so everyone there would know because they're wearing cotton or wool. There was really only two things to make clothes out of. They didn't have polyester, nylons, or, or plastics. They literally had cotton or leather or wool. And so here, these people would have said, yeah, of course, if you don't pre-shrink the cloth, they won't fit. And if you do put it on there and it washes and it shrinks, what happens is that one piece shrinks and it tears away and you've really ruined the garment. Jesus is talking about a new system. Jesus is presenting to us something new. 
First and foremost, he's saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not fit into Judaism. He's saying the old way of doing things are no more. Actually, this is what he said earlier in Matthew. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. But more importantly for us today, the gospel doesn't fit into anything else. The gospel cannot fit into any other man-made religion. It is not compatible. It, will, it should burst the old system. That we can't go and say, you know what, I want some good vibes and positive energies along with my prayers for Jesus. Does it make, does it make sense? Right? We, we can't go, well, you know, I want a little bit of this, I want a little bit of this. This isn't cafeteria Christianity. You can't go walk the line, pick and choose what you want. I want some you know, apple pie, not the you know, cherry jubilee. It doesn't work that way. The, the true Christianity works in a new system. And that's what he says again here in about the wineskins. Because ultimately that the Christ, his gospel, put into the old skins literally would destroy them. They would be they would burst and be destroyed. <coughs> Jesus was bringing something new. Jesus was taking what the the law, which was defiled by human hands, which was weakened by human flesh, Romans 8. That he was going to do something different, that we were going to live different and be different. So here in Matthew, he's asked again by the Pharisees, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. Now, got to be honest. We're not fully capable of loving God with all of our heart, and all of our soul, and all of our mind all the time. Because the moment you think about you, you have elevated yourself over God. The moment it says, I desire, it's not fair, or I want it, or I deserve that, or I want it my way. You have now elevated yourself. And you've taken your focus off of God and put it on yourself. Now, we all suffer from this, I myself included. But the desire of God's heart is for us to love Him so much that all of our heart, all of our compassion, all of our kindness, all of our mercy, all of our souls, so all of our person and all of our thinking is. God focused so much so that Jesus says in the this is a great and first commandment the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself the love of self has changed a little bit but in short we we do have this understanding that we don't intentionally starve ourselves we don't intentionally neglect ourselves. Now, there are some cases where, where we do, and, and that's in, the case, in special cases. But in general, every one of us is clothed, yes. When it's cold, we put on warmer clothes. When it's hot, we put on warm climate clothes, yes. When we're hungry, we eat. Everyone feasted. When we're tired, we go to sleep. When we're thirsty, we drink, yes. 
So in that same manner of self-love, we are to care for others. So when we see someone who is hungry, we feed them. When we see someone thirsty, we give them a drink. When we see someone naked, we clothe them. When we see someone who's a stranger, we welcome them. So in the same way we would want to be treated, we treat others. Because there is no place for I in loving others. Second part of gospel culture comes in the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him. Or when they saw him, they worshipped him. And some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. There's a going factor. There's a doing factor that we have been given, not just to love, but to love with a purpose. To love in a way that we make disciples of unbelievers and they come to know Jesus and be baptized in his name and come to love him as you love him. Creating gospel culture requires a love for God and a love for others. A willingness to follow and obey Jesus. Now that's hard. And a desire to invest in people such as hospitality and kindness. Out of our love for God should flow a love for others. Authentic love for Jesus will result in authentic love for others. And the willingness to follow. When we realize how great God's love is, we should want to follow like Matthew did. And just like Matthew, we should have a desire to throw that great party tell all our friends about Jesus and what he's done for us. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that it is the power to set us free because of the work of Jesus Christ. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it breathes life and wholeness and righteousness. Lord, I pray that we have a renewal of mind and spirit to follow after you with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul. Lord, help us understand and receive your authentic love that we can share that authentic love with others. Help us live in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now it's table time.